0: Jeff, photographers, they just really love to complain. How can I help you? I was going to go off on people freaking out about artificial intelligence and photography, but now I think maybe I should start freaking out because you sound really strange. I'm sorry. I don't know what you're talking about. Jeff, are, are you here or are you letting Siri do this one for you?
1: Playing Over My Shoulder by the Jeff Carlson Band.
0: Hey, Siri, stop. Stop.
1: I'm here, I'm here. (laughs) What the hell, man? Uh, I've been writing a lot about AI and photography, and uh, I think something took over. The the robots are coming to steal our (laughs) art, man. (laughs)
0: Oh, I think AI has its place in photography, but please put a cork in that robot voice thing.
1: I'll see if I can rest control long enough for us to photocombobulate the the hot topic of artificial intelligence in photography as humans. Yeah, let's take a stand against Skynet and the machines. (laughs) I'm the real Jeff Carlson. And I'm
0: a cybernetic organism sent back through time to change the world. (laughs) But you can call me Mason Marsh.
1: i'll be back
0: so jeff you know the terminator and all this skynet stuff aside (laughs) (laughs) artificial intelligence and photography is a big topic right now and i know you're right in the middle of it you've been reading up and studying this stuff for a while for the column that you write for um, popular photography also you just did a seminar out in washington dc about this so uh, can we start by just defining what ai is
1: Yes. Let's define AI. (laughs) Artificial intelligence. (laughs) Great. Well, okay. (laughs) Maybe we do need artificial intelligence. (laughs) (laughs) This is going off the rails already. Robots have taken control. The little nanobots in my brain. On the one hand, it's the super cool technology. On the other hand, uh, it's really misleading because – we have a few different terms that have been thrown around. So, for example, like we're saying AI. Right. Now, I am pretty sure that real artificial intelligence researchers and experts probably hate the fact that AI is being slapped onto everything mm. because what we're talking about really isn't AI. I mean, AI is, is really like a, a machine that has consciousness. Like, like that's still kind of science fiction, but like Ultron, like Ultron. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or, you know, any number of, of of sci-fi movies that we've seen. Right. Sure. And I think people filter through that because that's what we know in the popular culture. That's fine. But also, I mean, AI, it's this nice, short, catchy, two-letter acronym that sounds great in marketing materials. Mm-hmm. It sounds great, you know, when you have like, say, like Topaz, they have a denoise tool, but it's not a denoise tool. It's denoise AI. Right, right. And so AI, like it sounds exciting from that marketing perspective, and marketing k- kind of works. But <laughs> so so AI has just been the shorthand for sort of anything where the computer does smart things for you.
0: Okay, well let's drill down on that a little bit because I, yeah. I think the better
1: term for this is machine
0: learning. Exactly. Machine learning is better. And I think that when I think of AI, uh, if someone asked me to define it, which I'm glad people don't, because I would stumble around (laughs) it. But um, if someone asked me to define it, I would say it's it's an app or a technology that is using a bunch of stored data to make assumptions Mm -hmm. about what it's doing next. So it's learning from what it's seen before. So a great example would be weather forecasting software. You know, they, they put all this data into a computer and it says, well, based on what has happened here in this location for the last 50 years, we think this is going to happen next based on what we're seeing right now. And I think that in photography, the best example I can think of is like Lightroom knowing what a sky is because they told it this is 5000 examples of a sky.
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. With machine learning, you basically take a massive amount of data. In this case, it's thousands, hundreds of thousands of photos. And you feed it into a computer or, or an algorithm that can then pick out all of those things. It can say this is a sky. And the shape of this area of this photo looks like a person. And so okay. that we're going to say this is a person. And then this is a face. And the faces have eyes and noses, and et cetera. And especially early on, you have – scientists who guide that a bit and says they look at those pictures and, the, and they say okay this area is a sky and this area is a person and this is a tree and then it builds upon that so right, right they no longer need to teach those things now it's more like okay this is a tree but this is a pine tree or this is a fir tree and so the machine is learning based on what it's learned before sort of like how we learn things and has that massive knowledge at its disposal so machine learning is really the better term it's just it doesn't sound as cool well right? I, I think it sounds cool but um <laughs> if
0: i think back on photoshop in its early years if you want to select mm-hmm. the sky it's basically going to say is the pixel next to this pixel like this pixel and if it is then it's part of this pixel's
1: pool yeah,
0: and so what we're what you're saying, if I'm hearing you right, is now all these pro- products—Photoshop, Lightroom, Luminar—all these things that we use—have yeah. been taught, but through programming, that when something has these characteristics, you can identify it as a sky, as a person, as a tree. Yeah, I almost sounded like Donald Trump there. Purse,
1: person, <laughs> the tree, yeah, exactly. TV.
0: <laughs> so. For photography, how I see this working really well is instead of me having to try to group pixels together and make a, a, a refined edge that looks right, I now have a machine that's going to make a lot of assumptions based on what it knows about skies. And it's going to do a pretty mm-hmm. darn good job of selecting what I want it to select.
1: Yeah. Is that right? That's right? I mean, that's, yeah, yeah. We got that, this that, down? That's the- that's definitely part of it. And the, the key thing here is that – so imagine that I'm showing you a picture, right? Mm-hmm. And when you look at that picture, you see the things that are in it. You can say this is a picture of a woman and she's standing in front of uh, a field of sunflowers and there's a sky behind her. And you can tell by the color of the sky that it's probably getting towards sunset, right? Right? And as as humans, we have been doing pattern recognition and – object recognition all of our lives. So yeah. that that's what you look at. Well, a computer looks at that image and it just sees red pixel, blue pixel, like lots of lots of pixels. Mm-hmm. That's sort of been the traditional way. Now, when you have a software that uses some of these AI technologies, that's going to look at the picture the way we do because it recognizes sky, flowers, person. To take it even a step further in
0: Lightroom, it could say that's this person it's it, right. if you've if you if you've helped that computer identify or you've helped that software identify um, that's my son or that's my my wife or that's my you know my mom it's yes. going to remember that and say oh hey, is this your mom <laughs> mm-hmm. cuz yeah. we've we've recognized this face
1: yeah exactly and so so having having the software understand what it's looking at, that opens up all sorts of different possibilities. And, and, but actually before I jump into that, I also wanted to look at this on the shooting side mm-hmm. because
0: yeah.
1: when you're shooting with your iPhone, for example, um, in, in terms of terminology, we tend to say computational photography, mm-hmm. which again is not as cool sounding as AI and it's more of a mouthful. But it it's it's more of an umbrella term that sort of talks – to what the the camera and the processor behind the camera and the image scene sensor, like what they're all doing in terms of capturing a shot. Because, uh, you know, as we mentioned before, when you take a picture with your iPhone, you're not just recording one rectangle worth of pixels. It's making, you know, a dozen different shots in milliseconds at different exposures. And it too is also looking at the scene and identifying That, ah, this is a sky. These are trees. This is the ground. This is probably the foreground object. So Mm -hmm. the thing in the foreground should be in focus. And if this is a sky that has a little blue to it, maybe – We'll add some more blue to that to make sure that it's not overexposed. Mm -hmm. And this is a foreground thing, and we don't want that to be completely in darkness. So it's going to blend those exposures together so that the picture that you get has a higher dynamic range and looks more like what your eyes see rather than what an image sensor can see. In
0: the case of the iPhone, it also adds that LiDAR technology. So it's using – a uh, laser emitters to mm-hmm. measure distance and it can determine, I, I don't know if the LIDAR pattern is precise enough on the iPhone to know if it's a face, but it's going to add that distance information to the image information and yeah. the processor and that the amazing processor in that phone is going to be able to say, that's a person want that person's face to be in focus. And well, like you said, the background can be out of focus. The foreground can be out of focus. It's really yeah. pretty staggering to think about, um, Because a lot of times when I think about computational, artificial intelligence, any of these words we want to throw around, I tend to think about the processing side. You know, sky selection, subject Mm -hmm. selection, things like that. But in the case of the iPhone, there's a lot of this machine learning, augmented processing that happens. Higher than just the exposure level, right? It's making decisions based on subject matter. We don't see that a lot in our "Quote unquote" real cameras, except for like I detect autofocus. Mm-hmm. That that yeah. would I would call that machine learning, right?
1: Yeah, that's also doing it because it's doing extremely fast pattern recognition. So it you know it it sees a face, it sees you know which like like you you can choose. Do you want to focus on the left eye or the right eye? In some systems, mm-hmm. some systems will. If you are a bird photographer. Yeah. And I can only imagine that, that this has been sort of revolutionary for bird photographers. maybe I, I, I'm not one. but um, you know s- some cameras will recognize not only that's a bird, but that's an eye on the bird and focus on the mm-hmm. eye, which has got to improve hit rates. Oh yeah, because usually you know you're looking through a 400 millimeter lens, And that's, you know, has all the the inherent difficulties of every slight movement will exaggerate that. And so being able to catch a bird in flight and have the AI-assisted autofocus, be able to just nail focus on that eye, that gives you a much better shot. Well,
0: and it's really – think about when I first started using uh, uh, IAF, we'll call it, or eye-controlled – not eye-controlled, but eye-recognition autofocus – yeah. Be careful cuz I control out of focus is totally different. Oh right. Yeah, So yeah. <laughs> IAF was for me the Sony A7R2 had IAF. Mm-hmm. And I think I it a very early version was on the Fuji XT1 that I had. But when I went to Sony and it had this IAF it was it was uncanny how great it was. And it's just gotten better and better. And now, like you said, it doesn't just look for eyes. It says, you know, you can tell the camera you're looking for uh, animal eyes. You're looking for human eyes. You're looking for mm-hmm. uh, bird versus cat. <laughs> right. Yeah. You can yeah. be really specific. And I don't know if it goes so far as to as to be learning. I don't think the camera is learning as much as it knows. Right. It just right. knows what all these faces have have certain ratios of eye to, to beak, to nose, to mouth, all those things. Yeah. And the fact that it's autofocus is no longer tied to the contrast between pixels. Mm-hmm. It's now smart enough to know that you don't want the nose in focus. You want the eye in focus, or you don't want the, uh, the shoulder yeah. in focus. And I used to have to be really careful with earlier cameras in autofocus because high contrast scenes, if there's a lot of high contrast material in the background, it was always going to lock on the background. Yeah. And it was maddening how many photos you throw away because it the camera's just like, "I thought that's what you wanted." And now it's it's like, "No, I want you to focus on the eyes, damn it." And mm-hmm. it do- it does it. And it's it's revolutionary.
1: Really amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so and a couple of things just to unpack just even in that tiny bit, um, you know, it's it's not just focusing on the eyes, but it's able to track the eyes. Yes, that's super great if you're doing a portrait session and somebody is just you know standing there. But um, for example, like you said last week, I was at. Um, a conference where I gave a talk about this. It was the Creative Pro Week conference. And part of what I did at the conference, like I wore two hats. I I had this session where I was talking about uh, AI technologies for uh, creative people. But I was also shooting the conference. Mm-hmm. And so I was the event photographer and I was using eye tracking, like live eye recognition tracking all the time because I was shooting speakers who they – would move and they they would step aside and they would gesticulate and none of them were really just staying in one place. Mm -hmm. And so I needed to be able to do that. And so the camera I was using was a Fuji X-T4 and the mode that I was using, which was to track the face, it would also – based the, the exposure level on the eye and the face so that the person would be well exposed, even in what turns out because it's a conference, it's a difficult situation anyway, because they're dark rooms, dark background, but spotlights and mm-hmm. all sorts of, of difficulty. And it made my job much easier to be able to, to focus on this. The, the other thing I wanted to mention was, uh, you're right, it's not the, the camera isn't doing any learning, but it's taking advantage of all the learning that, is, that has come before. And I would imagine when cameras have these firmware updates and they say, you know, the uh, autofocus has been improved. Well, it's probably updating to, you know, whatever built-up algorithms that they've been using. Yeah, they fed it gonna, more
0: data and it's had a chance to, to learn more in the yeah, lab. Yeah, exactly. And now they're sending it that knowledge onto the camera. Exactly. Um, with that firmware update. You know, it's interesting. I just tested the uh, Mini 3 Pro drone. Uh, so I yes. had uh, an early version of this drone, and I uh, had a chance to fly it for a week. It had a subject detection mode, which is new. Ooh. I hadn't seen that with the previous any of the previous drones I've used. And when you turn this particular setting on in the menu, it would start scanning the scene for people. And it would say, do you want to select this person? And it was, I had the drone hovering above a soccer field and it was shooting kind of down the soccer field. And so all the people in the shot were really small, but it was able to pick out that's a human. Do you want that to be the subject? And it was not just doing it for focus. It was saying, if you select this subject, I'll actually center them in the frame and you can tell me to fly a pattern
1: and Mm -hmm. I'll,
0: I'll fly this pattern. But it was interesting to me when there wasn't an obvious person in the frame, it would select vehicles. It was like, is that this pickup truck? Oh, do you, want, yeah. do you yeah. want this to be your subject? And so I have these little green boxes. It was it was very sci-fi movie where it's like target selection, you know, and <laughs> like, like Iron Man, you know, where you got these little little things all over the, yeah. the screen. And it was really interesting because I, I sort of saw a glimpse of the future of what mirrorless cameras might be headed to, where they're saying, hey, is this the subject you want to track? Oh, and right yeah. now no, I it- have tracking in my thing where I can tap on a subject and say, track that subject, and it'll track that subject. But it doesn't know that's a subject until I tell it it's a subject. But I could see us getting to the point where it's like, hey, you're out shooting today. What are you shooting? I'm shooting motorsports. Great. I'm going to look for cars. Or I'm shooting um, portraiture. Great. I'm going to look for eyes. Um, I'm shooting birds today. I'm looking for bird eyes.
1: Yeah, well we're yeah. we're sort of almost there. Like even my old, you know, Maverick Pro drone um will do some of that, but you have to say this is the subject I want you right. to track rather than just having it sort of, you know, come up and and you know, when I was shooting again this event, I would turn my camera on the crowd and I would have like one green box and like, you know, eight little gray boxes for faces you Mm -hmm. know um, all all moving at once as as it's trying to to figure out what 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 to grab and like you said with the vehicles there are modes now in some cameras where you know i'm shooting fast vehicles Mm -hmm. i'm going to go shoot a car race and i know i'm going to be at this corner where these cars are going to be coming around at 130 miles an hour and i just want the camera to focus on the car as it goes so cool you know which is tough to do so well it, uh, it makes yeah. us
0: better photographers now i want to get to um, kind of the gorilla in the room here elephant in the room gorilla in the cage it's i don't a know a gorilla in the <laughs> <laughs> the well, cyborg in the room
1: the uh, cyborg in the room
0: and and talk more about processing cuz where this mm-hmm. where this has gotten inflammatory if we can use that term i think oh, uh, we absolutely can is in the in the process of making photographs that we didn't actually make. So, example, um, you go to you go to a Mono Lake to take a photograph, and you're there in the <laughs> middle of the day, and it's hazy and kind of drab looking. Uh, but that's when you're there, and you shoot it, and you use a sky selection, which is a, a learned processing algorithm in your software, and you use a sky replacement setting. And it brings a sky in and you can reposition it. And, and it's going to look at reflections and all that. Yeah. And the photographers, some photographers would look at that and be like, photography is dead. Now it's all just done by <laughs> robots and we're all just a bunch of button oh. pushers and creativity is
1: gone. You're using this specific example for a reason, aren't I'm you? I'm
0: using this specific example for a reason. But I think that this touches on this – Kind of ages old luddite thinking that anything that makes your job easier makes the job that you're doing less valuable.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, so I mean, I, I, I'm i over here laughing, and we'll put this in the show notes. I, I wrote a column uh, for Popular Photography that was exactly about this, using exactly the example you. Oh, you did. You did. <laughs> you did. Oh, oh.
0: yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I didn't see that. So basically, I wrote a column about sky replacement. And you know, uh, l- looked at a couple of different apps to see how they do it, and and I used a picture of Mono Lake. Maybe maybe you saw it and they like, internalized it. And uh, <laughs> of course, and I read I'm your like, article, Jeff. Come on. Okay. It's it's a fascinating idea. The middle of the day, but you wanted a sunset uh, shot, and so you, you just throw a sunset in there. And I got an email from a reader that was not just any uh, reader, Jeff. You don't have to say the name. I'm just going to say a reader who has been in the industry for a long time. Yes. A, a photographer who – Of, great, uh, renown. of great renown. Of great renown?
0: great renown. We'll say that. Who,
1: OK. Who basically said, uh, <laughs> this is terrible. AI is – and I'm totally paraphrasing because I can't remember the exact email right now. But basically, he said I should just throw away my 40 years of photos if the computer's just going to go make it. Yep. And
0: I think some of the wording was this shit's got to stop. <laughs>
1: something like something that. Something along those lines. You know, and uh, I, I get the frustration, and I think it's also a. It's going to sound bad, but it's a. An older photographer, older established photographer's mindset because these technologies weren't around. And yeah, you had to do more work to get this kind of shot. But at the same time, you know, <laughs> going back to are the robots taking over? None of these technologies are things that are replacing photographers. Or if they are, they're replacing them in small ways like advertising. And so, like, I guess I'll say if you're a photographer and you're worried that AI is going to replace you, either it's not going to happen or maybe you need to think about what kind of photography you're doing or do what you can to make sure your photography is unique in some way. Because even though, yes, you can replace a sky, going out and getting the real thing is always going to be better.
0: Well, and Um, I will say this, and you've touched on this in some of your other columns, um, and just so people know, and we'll reference this in the show notes, Jeff writes a a very regular column in popular photography about this stuff, and so you've had several of these articles out on various topics, and all of them touched a different nerve with different people, and (laughs) um, I, I just as someone who teaches photography to older people, a lot of times I find these tools and I think of them as tools. I find these tools incredibly liberating creatively because yes, if I'm a, if I'm a novice photographer or a learning photographer and I'm really unhappy with how my sky looks in Lightroom, it used to be that I didn't have much I could do about that. And yeah, you know, we're not talking about sky replacement as much as I'm talking about the ability of of these software programs now to identify sky and select it, so that mm-hmm. you can adjust it, and it actually looks good. It doesn't look fake. It doesn't look uh, right. You know, the edges aren't haloed or rough or anything like that. Um, this ability now, people can make the photographs in Lightroom that they it, they envisioned when they took the photograph. And I don't know of too many people who go out to a scene and they're like, I don't need to go there at sunset because I can just put a sunset in there later. I mean, I'm sure there probably are people like that, but the joy of capturing a beautiful sunset is you can't recreate that later on the computer, right? That experience yeah. is something that is purely human and purely, you know, deeply satisfying. And that's something we can't uh, we can't hit that need with uh, making a nice sunset on the computer. I At least I can.
1: This really goes toward a couple of different things. Like like the experience of photography it is one big thing. Like if you are – if your goal is to make gorgeous images but you really don't like to go outside, okay, fine. Then you are a a visual artist and you can make creations and great. If you are a photographer who does want to go outside and does want to get these these things, these great – images and scenes and experiences, but maybe you are not as educated in the processing side of things. You know, Lightroom might just completely befuddle you because there's so much that it can do and you can certainly get there, but you know that this is hours and hours and hours of learning and all you really want to do is go out and take pictures and make them look a little bit better. Mm -hmm. You want that sky to just have a little bit more contrast because your camera – overexposed it just a little bit or you were shooting raw and you have the dynamic range there and you want a little bit of drama without recreating the entire scene and being able to take that into lightroom or some other program like that and you literally click a mask button And then there's another button that says select sky. And it figures out where the sky is and it selects it. And then you can add more contrast, bring down the exposure, whatever. And the experiential part of that is you got to make the photo that you wanted and you got to do it in very little time with very little expertise. And it's opened that up to a lot of people.
0: But what it hasn't done is – Allowed those people to compete with someone who went there twenty five times and got the best conditions possible and made an epic image. And this idea that I I can just throw away my camera now because all I need to do is go into the software and create it. I think that's just flippant and petulant, you know, and sort of silly. Yes, and totally. totally. It's like, come on, you know, those people aren't taking your jobs. They're, They're not. No one's going to go on Luminar Neo and throw an artificial sky into a shot and sell it to a, a client over your photo. Now, yeah. if they're dealing with someone who's low budget and they're selling it for twenty five dollars, maybe, <laughs> maybe, but, yeah, yeah, um, but that's a different issue.
1: But you know, we're not talking about
0: you know fine art here. Yeah, and I think that yeah. that's
1: where people get kind of wrapped around the axle on this. One of the things that I feel like I should highlight more, maybe maybe a whole column is is upcoming on this on this topic, <laughs> is okay. Fine, yes, you have all these technologies, and maybe you feel threatened because uh, there are things that this can do that you you know spent years of developing your technique and your craft and all of that. Okay, I totally get it. What AI is not really affecting or changing is what you shoot. Mm -hmm. Like the the contents of the frame and you being there and you choosing which angle and choosing which person to focus on or being able to spot a reaction in a crowd – or that moment when something happens and you saw it coming and you trained your camera on it and you shot it, you can have all the magical processing you want, but the content is going to be the most important thing. And what the AI and machine learning and all of this does is it helps you augment that content in a way that, say, for example, you know, something happened, you shot a picture of somebody doing something and it in a split second. Maybe they are a little bit underexposed. Mm -hmm. You go into Lightroom. You go click the mask button. You click select subject and it actually does a really good job of picking out what the subject is. So that's selected including hair. If you've ever had to do manual selections of of hair, it's just – it's really difficult and it just does it. And then you say, oh, I'm just going to bring up the shadows or bring up the exposure just a little bit because that accentuates this person that shows this, this moment that happened. AI is not going to replace your eye. So now I want to kind of tie
0: a bow on this because on the capture side, what AI does for us is it – especially those of us with aging eyes and mm-hmm. slower shutter b- button fingers, <laughs> we are able to capture focus – Uh, On things that really would have been down to luck back in the day. You know, that you got your focus point on that eye of that bird in flight, you know, at the right time. It it took uh, a lot of skill, but it was a lot of it was luck. Now that Mm -hmm. luck factor is higher, right? You still have to compose the shot. You still have to find the birds. You still have to understand their habitat and their behaviors and all of these things, right? The camera doesn't do any of that for you. It's just going to help you focus. In the case of the iPhone, it might help you with background blur and things like that. But it usually comes down to what is your focus in the shot. On the processing side, it's basically shortcutting tools that we would have loved to use on that photo if we had enough time and enough skill to select that sky perfectly or select that hair perfectly. It's doing that now smartly and very well so that we don't have to spend hours doing that. And I don't know why anybody would complain about that, you know, that labor and effort saving technology is incredible. So on the capture and processing end, all of this machine learning, all of this AI stuff is really helping us achieve our creative vision, achieve what we wanted to to get when we picked up that camera in the first place. What I want to know from you, Jeff, since you're steeped in this, this stuff and you have all these connections in the AI industry... Where are we going with this? And we know we're exactly where we are now, right? But where are we headed?
1: That is a very good question. <laughs> do we need to worry? Do we need to worry about the machines? <laughs> uh, ultimately, yes. Yeah. yeah. We're basically headed toward enslavement, but yeah. don't worry about that. It's going to be fine. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, All of. Dun. All of my my cybernetic contacts have told me that it's going to be fine as long as I do exactly what they say. That's that's all. It's easy. No, it's that is a very good question because I have to admit there's a little part of me in my brain that's like you know no AI is not going to take your job right. Um, I'm sure that there are probably instances where AI is going to take your job. Mm-hmm. Depending on what you do, right? Right. Um, it's not that dramatic, right? Um, I think basically what we're looking at is going back to the core of, of of what AI offers us in photography is the the software will know more about what's in the image. And so I think there's, there's a lot of refinement that's going to happen. So even now, for example, on the shooting side and in the editing side, we can replicate a background blur. Mm-hmm. Um, either using like portrait mode on the iPhone or Google phones and Android phones, like that sort of thing, or for example, Luminar has a, a subject bokeh, bokeh person, person bokeh, mm-hmm. something, yeah, and it's doing that computational thing where oh, I really want a soft background, but uh, because of circumstances or settings, I wasn't able to get it, and now I can, I can make that happen. And you, you look at that feature five years ago. And it was pretty obvious when that feature was being used, right? But it's it's been refined, and I would challenge anybody to you know look at ten different shots, some with a soft focus background and some with an artificial soft focus background, that you know have been kind of comparable um, in terms of subject and and, sure. and blur level, and it would be harder to tell which is which. Mm-hmm. And so I think. We will see improvements in refinement and being able to pick out skies, being able to remove haloing when you're – Selecting a subject, uh, being able to select subjects better. So every once in a while, depending on you know the depth in the in the uh, image, you'll get a selection of the person. Okay. but maybe it'll also select half of the wood log that they're sitting on, mm-hmm. right? And maybe you don't want the right. log; you just want the person. And so then you do have to do a little bit of cleaning up. It's going to know more about these things, and it's going to help you make those kind of selections and those kind of edits. But and in terms of like like longer. It's funny I haven't really thought about like looking ahead further yeah, than than what we have now but I can't imagine I mean I think on the on the shooting side so so much of of the research and development has been on the capture side mm-hmm. and that's In large part because of smartphones and because they have such tiny sensors and tiny glass and everything. That's why you have an image processor that is going to look for a sky and a foreground so that it can blend those exposures and give you something that looks good overall. Um, As a quick side note, my latest column – we'll put a link in – talks about Apple's ProRAW format. And how it's it's a way of, of merging the, the computational, blending all of that with actual raw files and, and getting some more of that editing latitude. Oh, and cool. so, so we're going to get more control over that um, because of some technical reasons that I explained in the article. You can't just you know, change everything that, that the iPhone's computational – sensor and technology has has built in and so we're just going to get more of that and being able to recognize more things and ultimately part of my presentation that i gave was not just here's what it can do but why why are we doing these these ai technologies in the first place and usually it's to make something easier for you or to save you time Mm -hmm. especially when it comes to editing right And I think that's the push. That's to be able to let you not spend two hours making masks and selections in Photoshop so that you can have the masking and selecting taken over by the software. Remember computers were going to get rid of all the hard work and make things easier for us? Well, if you've ever had to do manual hair selection, yeah. you're like, oh, the computer's not helping me at all. Yeah, <laughs> and so I think that's going to help there, and then that gives you more time to do whatever creative thing that you wanted to do, or you can process more images, or God forbid, you do some processing, you batch process those, and you can go have dinner. It's going to say, you get in, up from your an computer and, and go
0: spend time with your family. Exactly. So. I want to take a look into the ball and see see what the future holds. I think about what leads me to throw images away when I'm going through and my calling my images. Number one is focus. I just didn't ha- I just didn't hit focus. And yeah. I see our real cameras coming up to meet the technology of our our phones in their ability to identify and track subjects better and better and better as they learn more about subject movement. What we haven't seen yet in any technology is predictive focusing. So this is a bird in flight. Birds in flight move this way. Bing, 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 Mm -hmm. bing. We're going to anticipate focus is going to be this point. Right now, it's like that's a bird in flight. We're going to try to lock on and track it. But imagine if a camera says, hey, that bird is traveling this direction at this speed. It's going to, it's going to, its eye is going to be exactly right here in a moment based on what we know about bird flight.
1: It's a story problem. Yeah. If a bird is traveling left to right at <laughs> four, to be, four yeah, miles an hour. Exactly. <laughs> so,
0: you know, I think about that, you know, the focus hits and, and, and just getting to the point where I'm not uh, having to throw away images because I, I missed focus. That's number one. Number two is like you mentioned, and I think this is just to summarize it. What AI has been doing is compensating for our limits in technology. And so technology is kind of pulling the other hand of technology up to it. It's saying optically, you can only do so much with a little sensor or a little lens. So we're going to sort of make multiple images to allow you to do more. Great example, this DJI Mini 3 Pro. I get this camera and on the box it says it's got a 48 megapixel sensor. And I'm looking at the camera and the camera's like, you know, the little camera module on this is is just tiny. I'm looking at this little lens and I'm... I'm like, there's no way there's a 48 megapixel chip in there. And so I go out to take photos with it, and there's, there's a 48 megapixel mode in the, in the menu. So I tap it, and I take a photo, and it sits there and chooses on it for a second. And I take another one, sits there, and chooses on it for a second. And I'm like, oh, it's not just taking a photo. There's something else going on there. And so I noticed that it's got a burst mode and an auto-exposure bracketing mode and all that. So I switched to those other modes, and it's like, nope, 48 is gone now. That's no longer an option. Now you're at 12 megapixels. And so I sent an email off to DJI. I'm like, hey, listen, is this a 48-megapixel camera or is it a 12-megapixel camera that's doing some funny work to make a 48-megapixel image? And they were like, we'll get back to you. And a couple days later, yes, it's a 12-megapixel sensor that's making 48-megapixel images out of multiple shots. That's why there was the pause. And so I'm like, great. So transfer that idea to a, a larger sensor camera Let's say you've got a 50 megapixel, truly a 50 megapixel sensor in your camera and you're taking a landscape shot and the you, you turn it on, you oh, take the lens cap off and it says, hey, it looks like you're taking a landscape shot. We notice these tones and this is the dynamic range of the scene right now. Would you like to optimize this for a wider dynamic range or would you like to increase the pixel count on this image? Yeah, we noticed yeah. that there's not enough subject matter movement that would damage this process if we went ahead and went for 200 megapixels. You want to go for that? I would love to have that <laughs> option, right? And these cameras can do this with machine learning. They could be like, hey, yeah. we we noticed these things in the data that's coming in through the sensor. We're going to make some suggestions, and you can, you can use that. Nowhere in there is it telling me what to do. It's just giving me more options, right? So that's where I see it going, where... I now have a camera that can only go so far physically, you know, because of mm-hmm. physics and optics and the speed of, you know, energy transfer through chips and all of this stuff. And through right. software, they're saying, hey, we're going to go ahead and, and augment this. We're going to go ahead and, and mm-hmm. enhance this capability so that you can get more out of this camera. I think that's pretty damn brilliant.
1: Yeah, that is essentially what's happened with the iPhone because mm-hmm. Apple realized that People were buying phones as much as cameras as they were as phones, um and you know to play games of course um, oh, sure, yeah. <laughs> but the little tiny sensor in there with no aperture control, mm-hmm. their only route was to do this in software, and so they developed you know custom hardware i mean There's an image coprocessor that is entirely dedicated to the camera that does all this stuff. And it does things like the uh, cinematic mode in in the new iPhone 13s, which will do selective focus in video, like rack focus effects. There's no way that sensor can do that. There's no No. way you have like – Optically, it's not
0: doing it, right? It's not. Yeah. yeah,
1: Optically, it's not doing it at all. And so – being able to overcome those those limitations, I think actually going back to your question about you know what we see in the future, I think finally, I emphasize that with a big finally <laughs> a lot of the bigger manufacturers, the sonys the the Nikons, the canons, the Fujis, are going to start putting more of these features in their cameras because now they 're seeing the value of of being able to do what the iPhone can do. And and you know, it's it's a difficult proposition because you're dealing with so much more data and just that hurdle to overcome, but it's doable mm-hmm. and processing power is increasing and you know, algorithms are increasing and it, improving, so we're going to be able to get to that point and probably fairly soon and some of you know what you described is already happening in limited ways. So we're there we're just not quite there there and and we're on this journey. I mean the reason I started writing this column was because it's my feeling that computational photography is changing photography as a whole as much as – as monumental as the shift from film to digital.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: absolutely. And And I don't think people realize that mm-hmm. and that's also kind of part of the point is it's not supposed to hit you in the head with it. It's just – Oh, look at that. I did a firmware update and my camera can now focus much better. Wow. Right. Yeah. Physically,
0: nothing changed on that camera.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Now it's better. And, and, you know, you have applications. Photoshop will do this Lightroom, Topaz, Gigapixel AI, basically like a bunch of different companies will now give you software so you can take an image, a low-resolution image, and enlarge it and make that still a good-looking image with pixels that weren't there before. You know, Before, if you were going to scale up a 12-megapixel image, you'd be like, okay, well, it's going to be super soft, but you do you. right. Yeah, exactly. Good luck with that. <laughs> and part of the idea is, okay, let's say I want to print something large. Let's say I have an old image that I want to have more resolution. And it, it seems like it's it's been in kind of a narrow lane for that, but the same technologies are doing exactly what you described so that you can have your smaller sensor produce larger images and do it in – A sort of more natural way. Even what's the mode on the on the Sony cameras that that does like the slight pixel shift to build Mm -hmm. a much bigger image? It's it's pixel shift. Pixel shift. Yeah, that's. I don't know if that's specifically AI based. No, that's actually probably that's a hardware. Okay,
0: that's a hardware fix for for that problem where it actually shifts the sensor and makes multiple images shifting the sensor around. Um, It there's software involved in processing those together. But yeah. it's not a it's not a smart thing that's happening in the camera. But I could see it getting that to that point. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny that pixel shift technology is sort of just this hidden gem in the Sony camera, and I'm so surprised we don't see it in more in more technology. Mm-hmm. But
1: I would bet we will.
0: I think we will. So if I have to wrap this up in a bow, I need more coffee. I think what we're saying is. AI, machine learning, computational photography, whatever you want to call it, are tools that are allowing us to leverage existing technology to do more and to achieve more with what we create and do it easier and faster and better. I don't understand why that's a problem for some people, but I get it because you still hear, you still hear an occasional person out there who's like, "Hey, if you're not shooting film, you're cheating." And yeah, cheat away. If you get, if you get a better product uh, at the end of the day with less time and less effort, how is that not you being smarter?
1: (laughs) It's fundamental change. Mm -hmm. It's, it's huge fundamental change and that's scary for some people and I totally get it. And there's also that sense of I've, I've spent years building my craft and now here's something that sort of negates that. But It's not negating your craft. It just means somebody else can do something and, hey, guess what? You can learn all this stuff too and your craft was – I think this is key. Your craft was not in how you were exposing or how you were doing your focus or whatever or choosing your sky. Your craft was you knew what to shoot. You knew when to get there to shoot it and that's not changing. Nope. And I think people forget that because, you know, um, software can just put a person in here and put a sky behind it. And, yeah. But, yeah, you know what? Software can do that. It's it's incredible. But that's that has a different place.
0: I mean, I don't think anytime soon we're going to see robots roaming a wedding with a big eye for a lens and going like, this is a photo, this is a photo, this is a photo. Thank you for coming. You know, I just don't see that happening because photography is an art form it's a creative process and computers they're tools to help us be more creative but they're not creative they haven't reached a point where they're sentient beings right where they're ready to uh to take over they haven't reached that point yet um have they
1: no i hope not <laughs> yeah.
0: so jeff our zoom session just crashed and i think it's possible that Skynet heard some things that it didn't like. And so <laughs> perhaps we should be more concerned about this than we are being, but <laughs> I also, uh, I think we're, we're ready to wrap this up on a good note. I think AI is here to help us. I think that the machines are our friends and uh, it all helps us be more creative and more productive photographers and
1: we all could use a little more help. Right. Yeah. I would totally agree with that. Yeah. It's not something to be scared of. It's something to embrace, and I mean honestly, some of this stuff is so cool, it's and real. what it can do, and how <laughs> it can help you. That I'm not threatened by it, and if you see me in the gutter because I AI took all my livelihood, then we'll, then we'll talk. <laughs> Just you know, don't don't let Siri hear us.
0: Yeah, all these uh, little robot tread marks on your back. So. Uh, <laughs> So what we're going to do in the show notes for this episode, because we we talked about a lot of things, and I want to reference those things so people can dig in more on this and learn more about this emerging technology. We're going to make uh, links to all of your articles on popular photography about artificial intelligence in photography. And what's the name of your column, Jeff?
1: The Smarter Image.
0: We'll also make a link to your website so that people can sign up for your email newsletter which you put out when you launch uh, new articles. I was going to say installments, but I think that this is an ongoing column. So when you launch a, a new article in your column series, well, you'll be, people will be able to sign up for email announcements on that. If you go to our photocombobulate.com website, you can also sign up for our email newsletter so you know when new episodes of this wonderful podcast hit the uh, hit the servers. That sounds great. I feel like you might be, you might be going <laughs> back into Cyberdyne uh, <laughs> <mode>. <laughs> so, thanks for listening to this episode, everybody. I'm really excited about what's to come with AI, and we'll definitely keep track of it for you so you can rest easy. The machines aren't coming for us just yet.
1: Or if they are coming for us, we won't know when it happens. <laughs> dun, 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 <laughs> dun, 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 dun dun. However, in the meantime, you can do your part against the machines by subscribing to our podcast. And signing up for our newsletter, as Mason just said, on side, you did just cover that. But viewing our humble little podcast, everything's at photocombobulate.com. And we would appreciate it if you could help spread the word. Do you like this, this podcast? Do you like what we're talking about? Let us know. Let other people know. And, of course, you can always reach us. And if you have questions or if you have topic ideas or you just really want to know, all right, is my little robot vacuum <laughs> acting a little bit more ominously? I
0: think that robot has been watching me. <laughs> it knows my house, man. It knows
1: my house. Anyway, let us know. We appreciate it. Thank you.
0: Alright, everybody. Have a good t- have a good week. Take care.
1: Alright, you too.